Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. So the dust has settled. All the debating and speculation and really guessing, no matter your level of expertise, on the NFL Draft, it's all over. It's all a moot point. It's done with. The 2023 NFL Draft is now over. It is in the books. And that means the Pittsburgh Steelers, in particular, have a new set of players, have new players you can get familiar with and potentially add to the roster and for years to come. And that's definitely the plan for the Steelers for sure. This is another episode of Mike Drop here, powered by the Believe Network. You can find Mike Drop everywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, etc. And I am your host, Mike Osti, as always. I am going to be joined by a colleague of mine throughout the Sports Now family of networks. He is the lead analyst with Steelers now to recap the Steelers draft, talk about what they did, why they did it, and how it's going to work out. And this is going to be a little bit more of an interesting conversation than maybe in past recent years, as I've done some shows with Nick, some live draft shows during the draft. But as I will now bring on Nick Faribault again of Steelers now, first off, Nick, uh, Congratulations, as you are now a college graduate, and that tells you Nick's career as he now has just graduated college. So, Nick, first off, I'll give you a virtual toast to know you a drink in person as soon as I can. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, graduated college today, obviously very excited about that. Yeah. And, you know, covered the NFL draft on the same weekend. It, it, How about it, that? Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a good weekend, you know, graduate, cover the NFL draft, yeah. uh, you know, d- do a lot of check marks uh, just right. on my list. It, it was a great week. It's really fun. And so excited to talk ball. I'm very excited to now, yeah. you know, have, the, have that degree uh, show yeah. my artwork, if you will, for four long years. Yeah, I'm glad you have that, but you've already been doing it, so it's just going to keep on doing what you've been doing, and as we are talking off air, it's nice to have the stamp of approval that your hard work meant something and accomplished something, but you've been doing it nonetheless, you're going to keep on doing it, and yeah, I don't know how many of your classmates could also say they just finished covering the NFL draft as they were walking to get their degree. So again, Nick Faribault of Steelers now, mic drop here on the Believe Network, and it is about the NFL draft still, although as Mike Tomlin put it, we're not really going to be able to know how we did in this year's NFL draft for years to come. And that is the truth, as I've said on my show before throughout our coverage of the draft. It's kind of one of those humbling experiences, Nick, where no matter whether you're Mel Kuyper, who's literally been covering the NFL draft longer than you and I have both been alive, and that includes me as I'm older than you, or you're somebody that's just a casual fan that's just throwing out predictions, nobody can really say they're 100% correct or they know for a certainty it is all educated guesses and no one's going to bat a thousand. Mel Kuyper has been wrong many times before and is still collecting that check. So it kind of is that humbling experience, kind of like playing golf. You just you, you just don't know. And if you're mediocre, you're almost then thought of as elite in the craft. But yeah, the Steelers draft is in the books. They start things off with Roderick Jones, who they finally go offensive line. This was a different year for that first pick a little bit, Nick, than the last couple of years when we were doing draft shows where – Everybody knew, and they weren't really keeping a secret, okay, if Najee Harris is there, we can all debate it all day, and all of us in Pittsburgh media, some thought go running back, some thought you don't go running back in the first round, some said offensive line then, but it didn't matter. The Steelers made it clear, if he was there, they were in love with him, they were going to take him. Kenny Pickett last year, I think he kind of fell in their lap, but they were so in love with him that if he was there, they were going to take him. They need to QB as well for the future. This was one of those scenarios in the first round. I know you're putting this out there that you weren't even 100% sure what they were going to do. They could have went in many different directions. Can't see a fellow Pitt alum of yours. He was actually available at the time. Another Pitt product who finished at USC and Jordan Addison was available at the time. Many thought, including Pickett, go receiver. There were other options besides even just other Pitt players that were available that kind of still would have made sense. Some thought Joey Porter Jr., who we'll get to in a moment because he ended up being the second-round selection as he slid. Some said go him with that first-round pick. They ended up getting aggressive early, making a trade, and 
being bringing in Broderick Jones, who was their guy. So before we get into the rest of the Steelers draft and some odds here about defensive rookie of the year candidates, again, talking about Joey Porter Jr. for that one, thoughts on the Steelers aggressively getting Broderick Jones do you like it? Do you not like it? Is it what you thought they were going to do? How's this going to work out for Pittsburgh? And kind of try to get in the head of Omar Khan in his first draft on why did they get aggressive and kind of go off the grain for the Steelers' history to get this player, get Broderick Jones from Georgia as their first-round pick? I think it became increasingly clear that they wanted an offensive tackle throughout the process. Um, it wasn't a dire, dire need. I mean, Chooksakor 4 and Dan Moore both started – over 30 NFL games, Chooks, and, and it's started now over 100. So, I mean, that is a lot of experience that you have across both tackle positions. So, to me, when you were drafting a tackle, it either had to be, one, a guy in the mid-rounds with a ton of upside, and there's just not a lot of that in this class, or yeah. two, a guy that has enough upside and, and is ready to play enough now to where they can usurp one of those guys. And I think that's what Broderick Jones was. And we saw the tackle class really kind of be limited, in my opinion. Um, you saw how quickly Paris Johnson went at 6, Darnell Wright went at 10, Skaronsky was at 11, and the Steelers were at 17 realizing Broderick Jones was the last guy there. He wasn't going to make it to them. And clearly they did not feel comfortable enough and say other options like Dewan Jones, who ended up falling, Anton Harrison, who got, yeah. went in the back of the first round, um, uh, uh, guys like Matthew Bergeron, who went early in the second. Uh, they just didn't feel comfortable enough in those guys to make that pick. And so Broderick Jones is the last of those true top four tackles to me. I think he made sense if they were going to get that upgrade. If they wanted to invest in Kenny Pickett, I think their easiest way to do that was to get a tackle. And the reason why I say that is because they have enough weapons for him already. Deontay Johnson and George Pickens and now Allen Robinson added to that is a solid wide receiving core. You have Najee Harris, Jalen Warren, Pat Fryermuth. Um, they obviously <laughs> yeah. have another target later on. We'll talk about him, I'm sure, as yeah. well in Darnell Washington. But it wasn't so big where I think they needed to take, say, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, Quentin Johnston, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Basically, whatever wide receiver you really liked there that went shortly after the Steelers picked at 14, it didn't make as much sense as getting Broderick Jones. And why? Because Broderick Jones is exactly what the Steelers like at offensive tackle. He's an aggressive, physical and he's probably the most athletic lineman in the entire class. He is an athletic specimen. You see him work in space. It is insane. Matt yeah. Canada's offense is all about working in space. Uh, he's a little rawer, I think, than some of the other guys that we talked about at the top. Skaronsky and, and Wright, for example, are pretty, you know, just plug and play them. You kind of see what you get. Not a lot of upside there, but it, it, they're so polished and ready to go uh, technique-wise. Jones has to learn a lot of the intricacies of playing offensive tackle, but – He's only 21. The upside here is all pro left tackle. You know, we're, we're talking about a guy that has rare movement skills in the vein of a, a Trent Williams-ish type movement skills. Okay. Like that's the type that he has, and so that is truly rare. So then you would ask, well, why was he available at 14? And it's because of the aforementioned lack of technique that I talked about and how you're going to have to teach him how to use his hands, how to get kind of – it, it, it placement wise, timing wise, all of that. He'll get called for holding calls, but he's got such good athleticism that his floor is already kind of heightened right away where you can play him. This isn't like, uh, you know, when we were talking about Malik Willis last year, right? It was like, all right, you might draft him, but you aren't playing the kid till 2020. Right. right. Um, that was kind of the thing with him. Roderick Jones is raw. But he has athleticism and he has the footwork that he can play now. He'll have lumps and you got to deal with those. He's not going to be perfect. So when he gives up a sack in game one or two, maybe even gives up two sacks, don't be mad. It's it's part of the learning curve. <laughs> it's the learning curve. But I'll tell you what. When you look at where Kenny Pickett will be in 2024, 2025, he's going to appreciate Broderick Jones because I I'm think sure. he's him up. Yeah. They can have the best offensive tackle in the class. And and I love the move kind of for what you're saying that, yeah, they had other needs and yeah, people always want to go wide receiver because when you have a legit franchise quarterback that you believe in, again, the debates are over. They believe in Kenny Pickett. He proved a little bit at the end of the year. You like maybe pairing him with a receiver, kind of like everyone wants to copy what the Bengals did. You're, you're, you're pairing friends, quarterback, receiver, figuring they're going to be there for 10 years. They already got a Super Bowl appearance out of it. But you can get receivers in other spots 
Usually most of these drafts we've seen in recent years are deep with receivers. They did get two in the first three picks last year. George Pickens looks like a stud and Deontay Johnson, say what you want. Maybe he's not the one people thought he was a couple years ago, but he's certainly still good. And you have a tight end who can catch the ball. Yeah, they, they can get other spot, other people to be receivers. They can find it in other spots. But part of why, and they've kind of hinted this, they, they love Najee and love Pickett. And even before that, they love different players. But they didn't love an offensive lineman enough to go offensive lineman when people were saying you got to go offensive lineman. They now found a few that they liked enough and one that was there, so they went out and got him. So I, I do think it really makes tons of sense. And, and Nick, as you know, no one talks about this, but every championship team, yeah, you're probably getting a legit quarterback and different weapons that are there. You're probably looking at quality players and MVPs that are on the star positions, but you probably can go three, four years earlier, if not longer, and say, they drafted a Pro Bowl offensive lineman at some point. Like, there's a guy that's getting no credit that someone's buying him a steak dinner every other week during the season, and maybe Kenny Pickett will be, be getting that steak for Roderick Jones. So I think it makes tons of sense. Now, I just want to do. I just want to ask you, I guess, to clarify for any fans who will say, well, Nick, you're saying he's going to give up sacks. He might, he might be a little raw. He might have some issues there. There might be things to work out, and it makes sense for any rookie to have that, but you are talking about a – a national champion out of Georgia who's played in big games, played in a pro system that's churning NFL draft picks. And they even threw the stat up there right after he was drafted that he didn't allow any sacks last year. So now you're telling me that early in his NFL career, he's going to allow some sacks. Is that just the difference of college football, even at the highest level to the NFL? Or was he able to be kind of be masked at Georgia because everybody around him was also really, really good when, that's not going to be the case all the time in the NFL. What's the issue there? It's just the the leap to the NFL. Even when you play at Georgia and Alabama, it's hard to just completely get in there right away okay. unless you're just ready to go. Yeah. Um, and there's it's just not uh, it's you're very rarely ready to go like that as an offensive lineman. Um, I, I compare oftentimes offensive linemen to quarterbacks in terms of their development arcs. Like Kenny Pickett came in last year, and to be quite honest with you, from the time he came in in the Jets game. To the bye week when you know they went and, and got crushed in, in Philadelphia, he was really bad. Um, he yeah. was really bad, and then he came out of the bye week and he just got better every single week. You know, when you look at, at quarterbacks that end up being good, that's what you see. The same thing happens with offensive linemen. Yeah, there's exceptions to the rule, right? You know, when we're talking quarterbacks that have just come in and lit the world on fire, like Justin Herbert did that, but that's not right. the that's not the rule. That's the exception. Yeah. Um, so people will say, well, Rashawn Slater just came in and was maybe the best tackle in the league. Well, and that's that's different. I'll point to you to another Georgia offensive tackle that struggled early in his okay. rookie year and is now one of the better offensive tackles in the NFL. Andrew Thomas with the Giants. He was pretty he was so bad his rookie year in the first half people thought he was going to bust and get benched. Then the yeah. second half of the year he steadily improved and then his second year he was a pro bowl level tackle. That's what Broderick Jones is going to be. And Broderick Jones is more athletic than Andrew Thomas. And that's kind of what mm -hmm. makes me very optimistic about this. So to me, what's going to end up happening with Broderick Jones is through the first eight games, you're going to be like, man, this guy has moments where he really puts it all together and he'll bury <laughs> the guy in the dirt or he'll run in front on a jet sweep and take him to a touchdown. And there's other times where, where he'll get embarrassed and he'll be like, okay. he'll be like, why is Dan Moore not just starting right now? But then you're going to turn the clock into the second half of the season and he's going to get better and better and better and better and better. And so you're asking fans to be patient. I am. I know. It's tough. I know it's tough. There were people that were picket stands that were jumping off the wagon in that stretch that you were talking about because he was really, really, really bad. But you know who else, who else was really, really, really bad his rookie year? Peyton Manning interception almost every other pass and, and we saw what it turned out to be so yeah there's there's the joe thomases of the world that they just walk on the field and they're a pro bowl offensive lineman but that you can't expect that like if that happens great but yeah even even at georgia you can't expect that for that transition nick Farabov steelers now mike ossie here it is the believe network and it is mike drop here again you can find us everywhere you get your podcast apple stitcher spotify tune in etc now 
I do want to ask you though, you do believe to clarify that if Paris Johnson was somehow there, there was able, they were able to move even further up in the draft because they did get aggressive. One of their five trades for their seven picks. Uh, that's insane for those who followed Kevin Colbert's draft for all those years. And maybe even if they maybe didn't need an offensive lineman as much because they had a franchise quarterback that could have done different things. Like would they have taken Paris Johnson if they could have got up higher thoughts on maybe passing on Cansey, who was there. You mentioned receivers, but that was the one that I'm sure a lot of Pitt fans were screaming like this could happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, Paris Johnson would have been probably the first tackle on their board. I mean, he's just prototypical everything um, that you really want. Um, And he's polished. You know, he's the type of guy that when we're talking about plugging him in, he could be that guy that's like yeah. one of the Pro Bowl tackles. Um, which is why I went sixth overall. Yeah, they but, weren't that bad to be that yeah, high up, right? Exactly. And so that's why he went sixth overall. That's a blue chipper. Um, you know, Broderick Jones isn't a blue chipper, but he's okay. he's a lottery pick. That's kind of how I would say it. Um, and so I, I think that's really where it is. Now with Cansey, you know, I just it's not a good fit um, between the okay. Steelers and him. And the reason why I say that is the Steelers asked their lineman to do a lot of two gapping, a lot of taking on double teams, you know, and he's a guy that's a third, that's a three technique that just needs to rush the passer and just, you know, yeah. beat dudes in. And, and that's not really what, you know, the Steelers do all the time. Um, they have opportunities for that, certainly. But what you would be drafting him to be is a sub package rusher at that point. And that's not what you spend the number 17th overall pick on. You don't spend yeah. it on a sub. You know, a, a sub-package rusher, and Cansey wasn't going to kick Ogan, Joby, or Hayward off the field anyways. So I, I just, it didn't make a lot of sense in that regard. Um, so Kalash Cansey's going to be a really good football player for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's going to be really good. He just fits a need they had there far more than what the Steelers had and the philosophy the Steelers run. And so that's why Cansey didn't happen. You know, and so I, I think, you know, they just looked at that first-round pick and said, how do we invest in Kenny Pickett. And I think that's kind of what it came down to. Yeah, was and, and that's what we, it should come down to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> really, you know, yeah. There, people talk about the additions they made in free agency, the additions they made in the draft, but nothing is more important this offseason than what happens with number eight. Period. Yeah. You have 100%. to remember that from a big point of view. Nothing's more important than Kenny Pickett's development. 100%, and that is the mentality of the Pittsburgh Steelers. It should be the mentality of the Pittsburgh Steelers when you draft a first-round quarterback, especially when he is the only first-round QB that went in that draft. He was the only one. Malik Willis slid. He was the only guy. You got to build around him. Like he, It's a, it's clearly a three- or four-year project, no matter what you think of the man, and they got to put him in the best position to succeed, and that is getting weapons around him. That is getting protection for him etc. So that's happened now and they accomplished that with that first round pick and I really do believe it's a slam dunk pick and, and Nick it's kind of one of those weird experiences where this feels like the first time in several years where fans media are almost universally happy with this selection. Uh, that that has not even been the case with Najee and there were some that were against the picket draft. This is one that every you, you, it's hard to be mad at protecting a young QB and, and getting an offensive lineman that has tons of big game experience especially in that slot. So it does feel like this is one unanimously loved on. I do want to now move on. Joey Porter Jr. ends up being their second pick. Some thought he was going to be the first-round pick, but he ended up falling in the draft. Number one, why do you think he did end up falling? And once he fell and was still there for the Steelers, I know there were some rumors that Chicago would try to get back in there and the Steelers would would trade back. They made some moves later in the draft. Any thoughts for you that, okay, maybe they're they're not in love with Porter Jr., so they're going to make a move and they're going to trade? Or did you think when he was there and they had that first pick, they kind of just were waiting and, and, and were tipping him off in North Hills that, hey, you're clearly our guy. Like, why did he fall did he make sense for the Steelers? Do you like that pick? And was he just destined to be their guy once he did fall out of the first round? I think it. I think he specifically made it a lot harder for them to move off 32. And you, we heard their asking price was reportedly very high, so much so that teams started calling the Cardinals at 33. Obviously, the Titans right. did end up trading up with them for number 33. Yeah. I think he's the reason why. I think that they sat there and said, Joey Porter Jr. is there. 
they didn't expect him to be there, by the yeah. way. There's no way they expected him to be yeah, there. Yeah, so they were kind of washing their hands thinking it would have been cool with the family thing, but we can't do it. We got to go offensive lineman here. He's going to be gone. We'll try to sign you in five years. But then he was there. Yeah, and then he was there. And, you know, he fell for a few reasons. I don't think he's, you know, he is a six foot two linebacker type of body. And what I mean by that is he has his dad's frame. Um, you know, he has the length of a linebacker. He plays with the physicality of a linebacker. He's basically an edge rusher playing cornerback, except <laughs> he's 200 pounds, right? He's not yeah, 240, yeah. 250. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know if you remember this. When Joey Porter Jr. committed to Penn State and he got on campus, James Franklin wanted him to be a linebacker. Like, yeah. that's the type of frame he had. Yeah. Joey Porter Jr. told him, no, 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 I'm going to stick it corner. Let me show you. And then, obviously... The rest is history. But- well, the rest is history, but I even know that James Franklin, as well as a lot of people that are close to the Penn State program, this goes two years ago, even as recent as that, two, three years ago, certainly, were not as high. Like it was pol- He was polarizing there, really, before last season because he made a lot of, I guess, boneheaded mistakes that maybe yeah. would hurt him in the draft, which is why some didn't want him to be a first-round pick and maybe why he wasn't a first-round pick. He cleaned that up in the Rose Bowl year a little bit. But there were a lot of Penn State people that were just not as sold on Joey Porter Jr. for whatever reason, despite his father. So, yeah, yeah. he he is a he has that type of length. So he is a disruptor up on the line of scrimmage. His press coverage ability, man. That's the word disruptor. It is. It is really good. (laughs) He's going to come down in the screen game, in the run game. He's going to be competitive. You can even run some outside corner blitzes with him. He's done that. He's a really, really physical player. I think that's what the Steelers really wanted here. Uh, And part of that goes with Corey Trice, too, who they took with their first seventh-round pick. Um, Just long corners that can press you. And, and, you know, they have plenty of receivers that just eat you up off man because they're so explosive and and they're so hard to, to kind of cover and when i'm talking about that i'm talking about you know the jamar chases of the world uh that they're going to be facing i I was going to go there yeah uh, because that was the first thing that a fan asked me actually right after the pick was made can he cover jamar chase man to man that was the concern for some this is the receiver that is going to be at the top of your division for probably the next five plus years maybe longer if he can't that's maybe why some didn't think he should have been a top two three pick for a team but you're saying you think it'll be okay he can do that his aggressiveness just seems like it's hard to deny and not take a shot here's the thing man he has the upside to do it i don't know if he will right now so here's the issues with not many can cover jamar chase i I was my first like come on like you're basically saying he'd have to be the best corner in the league if you yeah i mean there i I don't know i i'm not gonna say that but i say he has the skill set you want to do it um, he's got the skill set also to be pesky for bigger receivers like T. Higgins. Um, the Steelers have not been able to, to cover yeah. T. Higgins for so long because they haven't had a guy with that length or that physicality to match what T. Higgins brings. And I think what Joey Porter Jr. will have is that ability to do that. Um, he can play bully ball. I think that's kind of part of the reason why the Steelers wanted to get him. He's an AFC North corner. Like Joey Porter Jr. is built to be an AFC North cornerback. If he was on the Ravens, no one would have been bad enough. Like that's no. Some were mocking him to the Ravens. That yeah. was a projection uh, for a lot. He he actually was even asked the day before by the NFL Network, "Would your father wear a Ravens jersey?" It almost felt like some people really in the know were thinking that was happening, and then it yeah. didn't. Right. And, and so the thing about Joey Porter Jr. is, you know, he reminds me of Jimmy Smith. He's been with the Ravens forever, right? Okay. That's kind of what he reminds me of. He's a little stiff hipped. He's not super fast. He's fast enough. He ran a 4 4 6, plays on speed about 4 5. So he's not got great speed yeah. or recovery speed, but he's got great length. And that really abides you time. He's a little stiff in his pedal and, and, and kind of turning his hips. Uh, so he's got a few issues. That's why, you know, not every. Joey Porter Jr. is very unique because he has 34-inch arms at corner. That is unique. It is unique in a way that not all teams are comfortable with. You use the word unique for prospects. For some teams, it's a negative. I mean, some teams don't like yeah. that unique. Yeah, they, they got a system they want them to fit in, right? Yeah. But I think the Steelers are not that team. I think Mike Tomlin okay. loves the unique factor. You talk to Mike Tomlin, he says, it's my job to coach that guy up. I like these unique skill sets, and that's how they end up with some of these players that really are one of a kind around the NFL, for example. 
uh, I think Cam Hayward and Minka Fitzpatrick are kind of one-of-a-kind players in terms of what they yeah. do. T.J. Watt, they, that guy was raw coming out of Wisconsin, but he had all the materials to be a great player. They coached him up, but T.J. Watt's uniqueness scared off some teams. That's exactly what Joey Porter Jr. is. He's unique. He's not a great athletic player because he has that tightness in his hips. He's not super fast, and he has some inconsistencies, specifically, in my opinion, by being a flag magnet at times because he has such length. He'll grab and hold, and I think he had nine holding penalties and two pass interference penalties right. this past year. Um, so that's a lot of penalties. That's what I mean. Like that was, yeah. Those it wasn't just people bringing things up to throw a hot take out yeah. there. The numbers show like that's too much, uh, and it that got to get but- cleaned up. And that was why there were some. I actually had another draft expert on a show prior to the draft that that did like Joey Porter Jr. for the Steelers. Felt he fit in, like you're saying, but understood kind of the counter argument because there were some saying that I get the father, I get the legacy. It's hard to deny it, especially when he falls, especially when it's a second round pick. The Steelers do like unique players, even going back to Paul Amalu before the guys you mentioned, but he doesn't fit. Like he doesn't fit. He's going to just make Mike Tomlin grow gray hair because he's going to lose you a game with a dumb penalty or he doesn't fit into the system. It'll take too many years to put that together for even a second round pick. He's come he's back gonna, to any of that. <laughs> he's going to be a guy that will frustrate you at times, but again, there's that uniqueness. You okay. aren't going to find corners with 34 inch arms just every year. Yeah, and it's he, almost like why is he is, a corner? It is such a unique <laughs> thing to have, and his upside's all there. Yeah. And so, let me say this: of all the players they picked, he has the most bust potential. I'll say that he okay. has bust potential, but I think if you can coach him up and get him to where he needs to be, this could be a guy that is a unique matchup chess piece that no other team actually has. And I think Mike Tomlin relishes that. I think he loves that fact. And so we'll see where it goes. I think Joey Porter Jr. can play day one and and can definitely go out there and compete. Would not surprise me at all if he's a starter this year. But I think that there is some trepidation to be had there. But let's be real. The fit with Pittsburgh is pretty good. Yeah, and you got a hungry player. He knows the rivals passed on him. He knows he was passed on by every team. And you also have a player, and this is important in this day and age, because you saw Jalen Carter and others slide and still going at nine, but off the field matters too. He's a player that has a mentorship of a Super Bowl champion with your franchise who's still around all the time, including all of his friends, Alan Fanick announcing the pick and you know, Mike Logan's around Pittsburgh. He still goes by. Like, they all are going to make sure if there's even a glimmer of Joey Porter Jr., you know, out on the south side at 2 in the morning, they're probably going to scoop him up and explain why you don't do that. So he has the people in his ear that can coach him on and off the field, and I do think he's kind of unique. It, it's almost like Tomlin probably said to himself, okay, we had a draft board we thought was going to go a certain way. We really love our first-round pick. We're doing it the right way now to build around Pickett. They may have had other ideas. That might have been traded if it was any other player there, but they probably did think to themselves, like kind of what you were saying, that, man, we have a guy that some had a first-round grade on that we maybe were going to take in the first round. We didn't. Maybe there's issues and reasons why we didn't. But he's there. We can't deny this. Like, think of it would have went the other way, Nick. If they, if he was there for the first pick of the second round after sliding, especially being a legacy player, and, and I think we can agree. The same thing with Pickett last year being a pit guy. If Mike Tomlin and the Steelers, going from the Rooney family all the way down, if they didn't believe in Kenny Pickett as a legit quarterback, or if they didn't believe Joey Porter Jr. could be a future pro bowler, they're not taking a guy just because he went to Pitt or his father play with the franchise and want to ring like that's they're not going to waste picks to make fans happy they believe in these guys and they believe in joey porter jr enough but think of it would have went the other way like i even tweeted the, the the night of the first round ending we now will know the steelers thoughts on joey porter jr it will not be a smokescreen anymore if they would have not drafted him whether they traded or whatever happened that would have said they don't believe in him enough, regardless of his dad, because otherwise he's there. But think if they would have passed on him and watched him be a pro bowler against them. I mean, that would have been a tough pill to swallow. 
So exactly. they, they didn't do it. He ends up being the second round pick. Now, because we also talk some betting here on this show, I do want to mix it in, even though it makes more sense for a pre-Jeff show. Joey Porter Jr., you guys had this on Steelers now. He actually is pretty favorable right now, according to some betting odds in our algorithm here with DraftKings, Caesar Sportsbook, FanDuel, etc. Has Joey Porter Jr., I believe right now, plus 2,000? is what I'm looking at here in terms of NFL defensive rookie of the year odds. The Steelers haven't had one since 2001, as insane as that is. And, of course, Will Anderson, Tyree Wilson uh, out of the Big 12, first Big 12 player, Jalen Carter I mentioned. He really could have been a first overall pick, but goes nine to Philadelphia. They're all with higher odds um, with a spoon as well. These are all players the Steelers, I'm sure, probably would have drafted if they were higher up in the draft or, or didn't have to give up tons to get those guys. But for a cornerback who maybe is out of position off of his stature, who fell in the draft, who maybe got a bump by being a legacy player, even though they love projects and he's a unique player. Plus 2,000 is pretty good odds. I mean, he's in the top 10 right now. What are your thoughts when you saw that in terms of the potential of Joey Porter Jr. claiming Defensive Rookie of the Year? Like, Do you like those odds if you're a betting man? Do you think there's even a chance here, or is it totally not going to happen because the way they're going to use them? I, I mean, I wouldn't put put it down. Um, and the reason why is Jay Porter Jr., another weakness is he just doesn't have a lot of picks. Um, and, and to me, to win okay. Defensive yeah. Rookie of the Year as a corner, you have to you have to rack up the ball production. 100%. And I'm just not sure he has that. I think he could be a pretty good corner um, and be a pretty good player for them. But Defensive Rookie of the Year, I mean, you have to be very, very good in that area. Um, and so, you know, I mean, trying to bid out Will Anderson and Jalen Carter is going to be tough. Those guys are going to rack up production. They're ready to go right now. Arguably the top two best players in the entire draft right there. Yeah. Um, you have guys right there that are just going to be able to really rack up the stats. And, and that's going to be the thing. You know, Joey Porter Jr. to me is a guy that could very easily have a quietly very good rookie season and not get acknowledged for it. Um, he just doesn't put up the flash numbers in terms of INTs. Uh, and so to me, I don't like the bet. Um, I understand why he's there. He is, you know, going to probably start. He's probably going to have the reps to do it. We'll see kind of if he gets the yeah. opportunities to go at it to get those picks that he will need. But I wouldn't put money on that bet, and it's because there's just two of these very polished, flashy pass rushers right there that's really going to be hard to beat out in Will Anderson or Jalen Carter. You know, defensive rookie of the year oftentimes is not hard to pick. It's often very much those great players. Yeah, the favorite last year was Sauce Gardner. Yeah, yeah. Sauce Gardner. You know, it's yeah. not hard. It's probably going to be Will Anderson or Jalen Carter. Let's be real. Yeah, and they both could have been the number one overall pick in the draft. I mean, that was the conversation around Jalen Carter before his off-the-field drama. Anderson could have maybe been if teams didn't really need a quarterback like, with Bryce Young and, and, and others going, going in front of him. So, yeah, you're talking about top five pick in the draft, Jalen Carter, top ten pick who really had the talent of being maybe the best overall player and top overall pick. So, yeah, it'll probably be hard to beat them. I think the thinking is, and again, I reiterate, the Steelers wouldn't have drafted Joey Porter Jr. if they didn't believe in him, regardless of who his father is. However, Nick, as you know, when you're going into betting, they are taking into consideration who these people, who the fans are betting on. So I think there probably are some people thinking, okay, Joey Porter Jr., senior, junior, he's with the Steelers, they're going to give him reps. You know, they know the name. The casual fans familiar with the Joey Porter story for the family. That's probably getting some bets over there. So, but your point of you got you 100%. He's going to, at minimum, to win defensive rookie of the year over the guys you mentioned, he probably needs at least four picks and needs one of them to be a score. Like, you got to have that type of stuff. A Minka's year from a few years ago. As a rookie, that might be hard, especially when you're still playing with Minka and others who like to get those interceptions. So that seems rough. Now, if you want to put money down, though, because Will Anderson, Tyree Wilson, Jalen Carter, Devin Witherspoon, I mean, you're looking at plus 350 for Anderson, plus 800 for Tyree Wilson, plus 800 for Jalen Carter, plus 900, plus 1,000 beyond that. So Nolan Smith is right above Joey Porter Jr. there at plus 1,600. Those odds aren't going to give you tons of money if you bet on those guys because they're the clear favorite, certainly Anderson Wilson and Jalen Carter. If you want to bet on somebody that 
maybe you're taking a flyer and you win a little bit more money if they do win it. And, you know, it's kind of maybe an underdog story. Maybe then you go Joey Porter Jr. Nick Farabaugh of Steelers now, Mike Ostier. It is the Believe Network and it is the Mike Drop Podcast. Again, you can find it everywhere you get your podcasts. Now, Nick, we're not going to go fully down the Steelers draft board here, as obviously they had more picks than just Broderick Jones and Joey Porter Jr. They actually get funky and trade five times out of these picks here. So that's a lot for the Steelers, even though Kevin Colbert got a little bit more aggressive in recent years and those trades didn't work out with Devin Bush and company. We now, and, and the Minka trade that wasn't, he wasn't obviously a draft pick, but they trade to get him, and that kind of was their first-round pick that year. They really get aggressive here. Omar Khan really gets aggressive. So, number one, before we get into a little bit more of what the Steelers did and maybe a diamond in the rough player and what else you like or don't like with the rest of the Steelers draft, were you at all surprised by the aggressiveness of the Omar Khan regime? I mean, this was his first year kind of leading the ship. Obviously, it's not just him. Mike Tomlin's going to have an influence. Or Rooney's going to have an influence. It's not like Omar Khan's pulling a trigger and these guys don't know what's happening. But these are the same guys that saw them just go pick by pick by pick for so many years, and they had success doing it until recently. Yeah. Were they just covering the team for so many years like we've done? What allowed them to get comfortable to let Omar Khan be this aggressive, and was it what you expected from Omar Khan his first year leading the Steelers draft? I think it became very apparent. As the more he talked, the more they were going to wheel and deal. And the reason being, I just think the Steelers had been very tentative to do that in recent years, whether that's yeah. trade up, trade down. And Omar's not doing it you know, where he's trying to go up and, and get rid of the whole draft, right? He's not Mike Ditka giving away the entire draft for Ricky Williams. Yeah. What he is doing instead is he is making calculated risks. So for me, you know, trading a fourth-round pick to go up and get brought Eric Jones, I mean, that's basically nothing to get your franchise left tackle. Yeah. Um, trading back from 80 to get a fourth-round pick, that's a good value for them. They clearly wanted another one. Um, and, and so to me, you know, I just think that that's a philosophy thing. And it's clear to me that Andy Weidel's had a little bit of influence in that regard to Howie Roseman loves to deal up and down the board. Uh, we yeah. have seen that. We I saw that he, maybe winner of the draft. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we have seen his influence kind of spark up there too, but I just think it's just something that, you know, Omar Khan likes It gives Pittsburgh more flexibility to add and do a lot of different things. And listen, they ended up getting some really good value out of these picks on large part because they moved back or, or did kind of different things or yeah. they did. I think what Omar does really well is he doesn't trade back just for the sake of trading back. He trades back when there are people there that he likes enough or he's in a position of strength. For example, didn't trade back from 32 because Joey Porter is such a unique player. They really wanted him. Didn't trade out of 49. They wanted Keanu Benton. He's a unique player. Straight out of 80, they still got Darnell Washington anyways, and they got Nick Herbig. Like, I love his best player available kind of going for value at premium spots type of strategy. It's a really strong strategy. It's yeah. really good, and it's calculated. And so it's a feel thing. I think another thing that was clear to me was that Pittsburgh was very prepared on what was going to happen. I, I think – you, you look at their kind of pre-draft visits in the first round, for example. Paris Johnson never came to Pittsburgh. Devin Witherspoon never came to Pittsburgh. Uh, none of those top guys ever came to Pittsburgh. Jalen Carter never came to Pittsburgh. They were wasting their time, right. Yeah. Exactly. And so they didn't waste their time. You know, Christian Gonzalez was supposedly a top 10 pick. He fell all the way to where the Steelers could have picked him at 17. Um, yeah. He ended up getting picked by the Patriots when they traded back to 17. But like he was in realistic range. They had an idea of who was going to be there and who wasn't going to be there. And then I think they kind of just understood other teams and their methodology and what they needed, and they preyed upon that. Uh, I think they fell into a little bit of luck at 93. I'm not going to lie. I don't think anyone expected Darnell Washington to be there that late. Yeah. A consensus top 40 player in the draft falling to you at 93 due to what seemed to be completely out of nowhere knee concerns when the man hasn't suffered a knee injury his entire career is certainly something. Um, basically, he fell to 93, apparently, because teams are concerned about his knees because he's tall. Um, that's why. And to me, that just seems a little bit... I think that's NFL teams overthinking it a little bit. Yeah, but happens. the Steelers got great value by doing that, and they got an absolute butt kicker as a result. And so, 
that's the type of stuff. So you love the draft from a value standpoint. You know, Washington at 93, Herbig at 132, Trice at 241. All of that is really good value. Jones at 14, Porter Jr. at 32. Every single pick I just named there is great value. Keanu Benton's about on par, maybe a little bit early for him, but I understood why they did that. Um, and so just to, in terms of value that they got out of every position, the bang for their buck they got, whether that's trade back, trade up, everything like that, the value was A+. plus. It's the best I can remember the value lining up with the Steelers because before it often felt like the Steelers had their guys – and would draft their guys right. wherever they wanted to. I felt like in this one, they really adapted to the board well and just grabbed the guys that they coveted and plucked them at high values. It also might be more fun, you know, I, something for us to cover these future drafts of Omar Khan and the Steelers because in past years, everyone knew Najee, everyone knew Pickett, but even before that, even when they traded up to get Devin Bush. Everyone knew the second you saw Steelers are making a trade is like, oh, Devin Bush. Like, immediately. Like, everyone knew the the only player they would trade up to go get. They were in love with him. Tomlin was speaking about it in press conferences a year before. Like, it wasn't hard to predict what the Steelers were going to do. There were one or two options and really one every year. The last several years, certainly. Even when they did get a little bit more aggressive with Kevin Colbert, they were still kind of predictable. This, even after you heard the news of the Steelers making a trade, there were people that we're still saying, well, it could be any of these three options. Like, it wasn't like everyone knew immediately this is guaranteeably for Roderick Jones, even though it makes sense to do so. So it allows a little little fun. It's hard to predict Omar Khan, and I think I kind of like that. But, yeah, if they, if they didn't have Joey Porter Jr. fall, they might have made six trades. I mean, that's a lot of trades. They made five. They might have made six if he didn't fall. So Nick Faribault here of Steelers now joining me. It's the Mike Drop Podcast. And, of course, we're talking draft. We're talking ball. You mentioned all these guys. And, obviously, besides Broderick Jones and Joey Porter Jr., they did bring in um, Keanu Benton. They they did bring in Darnell Washington. You mentioned that was kind of even part of their tight end, probably the end of the line, I would guess, for uh, for Gentry. Um, Corey Trice, Spencer Anderson either. Again, they go back. They go offensive line, offensive line front end and, and, and back end of the draft. That kind of makes you feel good when you're voting for the future, I guess, if you're a Steelers fan. Diamond in the rough player here through the rest of the board besides Jones and Porter Jr. that you think is going to be a stud that maybe not many people are talking about because obviously he's a later-round pick. So a later-round pick that you think is really going to have success. And then maybe you, you kind of mentioned this with Joey Porter Jr. as the highest bust potential. So besides him, who here on this board, despite loving most of it, do you think, okay, if, if somebody tells me and I'm able to see the future, somebody says, hey, Nick, one of these players, it's just going to be embarrassing. It's not going to work out. It's going to look like a swing in the miss. You can't bat a 1,000. When you make trades like this, you get aggressive. Some of these guys are not going to work out. One of these guys, you imagine the odds are going to say they're not going to work out. You know, who's that guy? Yeah, well, the diamond in the rust is easy. An easy one. I'm not going to say Darnell Washington because the third round seems a little high for a diamond in the round. Okay. I think you kind of know what you're getting in him yeah. um, as an incredible blocker. 241, they get Corey Trice. This is the diamond in the rough to me. This corner that was a top 100 player on many people's boards, including mine. Me and Alan Saunders both had him in round three. We thought he was maybe a candidate there. And he yeah. falls to 241 because of some medical history. He broke his ankle in high school and suffered a high ankle sprain and torn ACL at Purdue. This is another lengthy guy. He's six foot three with 34 and a half inch arms. And he has all the physicality with better fluidity than Joey Porter Jr. He is really fun. He has the same ball production issues. And he's a little raw in terms of technique. But, man, the upside here is really good. At 241, it's a heist at that point. We're talking about a guy that, if he develops and stays healthy, could be a starter in the seventh round. That's the type of guy we're talking about. Um, so he is a really good player, good type of kid that just has all the high-character qualities that Mike Tomlin loves. Uh, he is a really good football player on tape. He's competing out there against, you know, all the Ohio State guys, 
um, shutting down most of the top receivers. Jaden Reed from uh, Michigan State, who got drafted 50th overall, Trice put him in the lockdown, man. I'll tell you what. <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll, I like Corey Trice a lot. Okay. I thought this pick was really good. I didn't understand why he fell until the medical thing popped up. That seemed to be something the Steelers really were comfortable with in this draft. They weren't too down on Darnell Washington's knees or Corey Trice's leg injuries. It seemed like they were pretty comfortable with it. Um, so that's something. That's a change in philosophy. I was talking with people down at the facility when Washington was falling, and maybe, you know, we were talking about, well, is he possibly at 80 if he's there? And I was like, I don't really remember the last time the Steelers have actually stopped a guy's slide that had medical issues. I don't really remember them yeah. stopping slides like that, and they right. did it twice here. Uh, I, I remember them doing it for character concerns with, say, Martavis Bryant, for example. But injuries, that's not something you hear a lot about them doing. But they did it uh, twice in this draft. Trice could be a real steal. It's guys that could swing and miss. I like the player. Um, but I think it's very possible Nick Herbig is just not not what you need. And the reason I say that is he's an odd fit. He's that uniqueness again, right? We talk about unique. You're talking about a 240-pound edge rusher that definitely needs to move off-ball. But okay. will he ever learn off-ball skills? He's barely played at any kind of off-ball at all at Wisconsin. So it's a new position. He's going to have to learn it completely. He's a good pass rusher, but he's just a sub-package pass rusher because he's only 240 pounds. So you can't really trust him in rundowns. Otherwise, he's going to get blown right off the edge. So it's kind of a weird player. And Can you get him well, bigger? Can you bulk him up? That's the thing. If you're 250, right, uh, 250, 260, well, does he lose the explosiveness? Does he lose the bend? Okay. I think that's, that's the true. question. And yeah. I don't think that's an answer. I don't think that's a question you can be answered until it happens. Um, so, to me, it's it's kind of interesting. If he can learn that off-ball skill, the off-ball skills while being a sub-package edge rusher at 250, 260, I mean, that's a that's a home, that's going to be a home run pick. If not, he could be off the team in two years. Uh, I mean, that's the type of player he is. But at yeah. 132, his upside is very considerable. So that's why they took the pick. I think the entire class, largely speaking, has quite a lot of bust potential to it just because okay. the Steelers kind of have this thing where they love football bloodlines, athleticism, and yeah. talent. Yeah. Um, so they look at Football bloodlines, character, athleticism, and then just raw talent. They have talent on talent on talent on talent on yeah. talent. And all of that's Joey Porter Jr. Like, all, exactly. everything you said there screams Joey Porter Jr., which is why they couldn't avoid him whenever he did exactly, fall. Exactly, yeah. right? But they yeah. have talent on talent on talent here, and it's up to them to coach. And I think that's going to be the big thing. I think Herbie's just a, a player dripping with bust potential. But at 132, man, you know, I thought that was a guy that some team would take a, a chance on on day three. I mean, day two. Um, I thought he was a potential pick at 80. Okay. Um, but for, to get him at 132 is a really good pick because he could be such a dynamic player for your defense. Yeah, and it also comes across, and Tomlin basically even literally says this, that, yeah, they want the best players, the best positions. Every team does. But Mike Tomlin, it's almost like he's at this point in his career, he's very, very comfortable with his legacy. He's a Hall of Famer, no matter what you say about him. And it's almost like... Yeah, he'd love to have the best player at every position off the board and just have a super team, but he might be a little bored. It's almost like Tomlin wants a really, really good team, but I want to sprinkle some guys in that are projects that are unique that maybe somebody passed on, so he has to do some coaching. Like, he wants to coach. It doesn't appear he wants to be able to just coast because you have somebody like a Jalen Carter. Okay, he's still there at nine. He had character concerns. We're drafting him. If you basically keep him... You know, if you keep the speed limit down, he's probably fine in terms of driving a vehicle. Tomlin maybe wants to be able to actually coach a guy up on the field. Probably, again, why he loved Joey Porter Jr. Like, he wants to dig in and actually coach a guy. Nick Farabaugh here, Mike Osti. It is the Mike Drop Podcast on Believe. Of course, Nick from Steelers now. I believe you guys got ranked fifth in terms of accuracy, too. Uh, I'm putting it out there. And that's against national outlets in terms of accuracy. And that's including some players that were injured that fell that you took some chances on. So kudos to you and Alan for that. And 
it just feels like this is one of those drafts that everybody kind of is high on for the Steelers. But as you did mention, it could be a weirdness where everyone's high on it. Everyone's happy. No one's complaining, really, fans and media like. And then all of a sudden, you could have all these players bust. Uh, well, so is your grade, is your, it sounds like this is an A. Is this an A gr- draft for you? Like, what's your grade for the Steelers? Very, very aggressive. They filled needs. They get their guys. They get the Porter Jr. legacy. They get Broderick Jones that everyone loves. They do it for Kenny Pickett, but also help the defense. It's an important year to show a step in the right direction. There are going to be people that want this team in the playoffs next year to show that step, even though you're building for that Kenny Pickett era that will have many years to come. Yeah, this is an A draft to me. They just got such good value with pretty much every pick, and they filled premium needs. I think that's the biggest thing. You know, they, they, they went – at the trenches in this draft, which I really liked. And they built that secondary out too. The Steelers have had kind of a interesting group at that defense where they've been really good up front and they've had some really bad secondaries over the years. I think this was a good job of investing in your secondary to get some young corner talent in there that they have desperately needed for years now. And so I think Joey Porter Jr. is a really good pick and he's a first round talent at 32. Broderick Jones is great to get him. They needed a tackle. They needed someone to upgrade that O-line, help out Najee Harris, and to help out yeah. Kenny Pickett. We talked about this back in 2021. If you're going to pick the running back round one, well, you better invest in said running back. They invest in said running back again. How yeah. do they do it? This entire draft was a clinic on how to invest in Najee Harris, by the way. Uh, Darnell Washington at 93 is going to be his best friend. Trust me when I say that. <laughs> Darnell Washington is like one of those Ravens tight ends that you've seen over the past 20 years that can just block defensive ends and move guys. He is a absolute hoss. I mean, this is a guy that calls himself the sixth offensive lineman on the field because he is such a good blocker. And then he has tons of receiving upside. He is a really athletic sixth. Which they don't even really need because obviously Pat Firemuth was brought in initially to be the receiving tight end. He's actually become a solid blocker that he didn't do at Penn State. And that, I know that, I remember that was your concern of Pat Frymuth, that he didn't really do any blocking under Franklin. He's been good enough now with the Steelers. But if you have a future Pro Bowl receiving tight end that also can block, and then you add a guy who basically wants to be a top-fledged blocker, and you just give him a catch or two a game, and then he can do something with it, that's a two-headed monster. I mean, it <laughs> it's a two-headed monster that you can run a different all yeah, different, different styles things. with ground right? and through the air. Yeah. I mean, you can have Fryermuth and, and Washington up the seams while you still have George Pickens on the outside and you still have Deontay Johnson running routes. And then you have Najee Harris in the backfield. Who is going to want to see Broderick Jones coming <laughs> on a sweep with Darnell Washington behind him? And all right, you, you avoid those two. Maybe you avoid them. But then who's the two running backs? Jalen yeah. Warren, who is absolutely insane on the field and just doesn't care and plays with reckless abandon. And then don't forget Najee Harris is absolutely massive, man. This team is just going to be able to wear down teams. This is a big line too. You know, yeah. Isaac Suomalo is big. Um, James Daniels is mean enough. So is Mason Cole. They're just going to wear teams down up front. I like this. It's going to help Kenny Pickett with a better run game, less pressures placed on him. It's going to aid in his development. Uh, you kind of have just those pieces there now to me to help Kenny Pickett. The defense has now a young defensive lineman that they can develop. They have a young corner. They have two young corners. They have a young kind of off-ball edge guy in a Herbig that's very intriguing. And they got phenomenal value every single step of the way. If this is an A draft right after the draft, I don't really know what is. And so, you know, yeah. maybe three or four years down the line, it's not an A draft because I talked about how they have to coach a lot of these guys up. But the talent that the, the raw talent they got from this class is reminiscent to me of when of what they did in 2017. If you remember when they got TJ Watt, Juju Smith-Schuster, um, Cam Sutton in that class. Uh, they got what – was that also – I think was that Javon Hargrave's year? Or maybe that yeah, was 2016. Yeah. Um, but maybe they before, got but yeah. so much talent in that 2017 draft. And this is kind of what it reminds me of. It reminds me of that draft uh, in terms of just raw talent. You know, James Conner was in that group too. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a lot of, of really good, talented players that you might have to coach up, but guys that can really be contributors at the NFL level. Yeah, I think to say the least, and obviously nationally, 
Houston being so aggressive, getting those two picks in the first three, getting quarterback, getting star defensive player after being so bad for so many years and needing everything, but seemingly finally building it the proper way. Philadelphia, after just being in the Super Bowl, being so aggressive, getting Jalen Carter, taking the chance, pairing him with all his Georgia boys. Those are the teams that national media are going to say won the draft. But you're talking about teams that picked either early or got very aggressive in the Philadelphia Eagles case. And there are other teams you can bring up as well that, that did really, really well. The Steelers are one of those teams that if you tell me who's a winner of this draft and you can't give me Houston and Philly because everybody can say them that watched the draft, I, I consider throwing some odds on the Steelers there. I consider betting on the Steelers in terms of what they'll project to to two, three, four years from now. You won't know until the future hits, but there are a lot of players here that give you tons of reason to like them. There are some bus potential players that you touched on, but is proper bloodline, proper athleticism. These are all need positions. It's best available and need. So they marry that whole debate in, and they get it all, and they're building right for the future. So I, I definitely think it's an A draft right now. You really can't grade it, I guess, until you do see it on the field for several years to come. Now, Nick, just last thing here, and maybe this is part of, because I do cover, obviously, West Virginia on a beat. This is another thing that was brought up a lot during the draft, and oddly enough, a lot of Steeler fans, even Steeler fans that are Pitt fans, were really wanting the Steelers, as he kept on falling, to go Bryce Ford Wheaton. He was a Steeler fan. He met with the Steelers repeatedly all the way from the Shrine Bowl on to recently. He visited with Pittsburgh. They actually slid him in as a local visit, even though he went 70 miles down south. The Steelers clearly were putting effort in to say, we do like you. He ended up going undrafted, which I think was kind of a surprise of the draft overall. I mean, there were some that cover West Virginia or even nationally that thought he would go before Dante and Dante stills becomes the only West Virginia player that gets drafted. He was a sixth round player. Bryce falls out of the draft, doesn't get drafted, ends up signing with the giants. Some even thought that, okay, he's not drafted. The Steelers feel like there's enough receivers there. He's not going to fall. They'll be fine. They'll sign him as an undrafted free agent. They didn't bite to sign him either. The Giants got to him, and it was a couple hours later, so it wasn't like there wasn't time for Pittsburgh to sign him. They basically kind of said, we're not bringing you in right now. So for whatever whatever happened, they didn't go Bryce Ford Wheaton. Now, obviously he had the drop issues that a lot of Pitt fans will remember at the end of the brawl. He had an up-and-down year, but tons of different quarterbacks. The offense was struggling. He became a one at West Virginia, but only in the years the team wasn't as good. When they were good, he was like a two or a three. And he has size, but he, again, the hands were a question. He ran a 4-3-8 at the combine, though. We were there. He threw a shot across the bow. I remember, I think it was you and Carl Ludwig thought I was nuts in terms of I was, I was there, and you didn't believe me at first. You had to look it up. But he said, I'm going to wow everybody, and I'm going to run the best you know, 40 time out of receivers here. I'm going to impress everyone. He ran a 4-3-8 off the jump. Like he did, like he, he, he threw a shot across the bow and then wow with speed. He ran, I believe he's the first player to run a sub four, four 40 at 220 pounds and being taller than six, three since DK Metcalf, Bryce Ford Wheaton. So you're looking at a great combine, a solid final year in college, even though the team wasn't good shows he can be a good premier receiver. I actually had him flat out tell me that a coach told him during the draft process, hey, there's times you look like Calvin Johnson, but then there's other times you look like you couldn't start on a JUCO team in Iowa trying to get a route out of him because he has that big play potential as well. Why did he fall out of the draft? And do you believe the Steelers really did like him or are they just testing the waters? Like why didn't the Steelers then sign him when he dangled out there for a couple hours? It felt like that if you can't draft him, he would then fit as a signee for Pittsburgh, but they didn't even sign him. I mean, height, weight, speed guy. That's very intriguing. I thought probably should have been drafted late. I, I think there's a few concerns. I think the drops are concerning. I think the fact that, you know, reports were he didn't have a particularly great shrine week either. Um, no. and, you know, he was struggling against press coverage consistently. I think that's a concern. Blew uh, me I, off, oh, by the way. I'll, yeah. I'll say this out there and here. It has already been put out there. Blew interviews off. Like, he blew everybody that covers West Virginia. He was actually asked to be on some national shows. I don't know if you got, you, you know, anyone else requested him in terms of uh, with you. But he blew a lot. of. He, it, it felt like he wasn't happy. 
I don't know what was going on. And I, no one got to the bottom of it, but I don't know if that hurt him. Like, he was there in practice. He didn't get many targets. He was kind of just running around. They didn't use him that much. I think he got one or two targets in the game with a catch. But it felt like he was a malcontent. Like, he was like, I'm here, and you don't want me here. And he didn't talk to the media hardly at all. It was very bizarre. I got one one-on-one because he knew me personally. That's it. It was hard with Bryce. Yeah, it's it was – uh. It's kind of weird. So, yeah, player is just so up and down with so many inconsistencies, and I think that's why. And you know, I just don't think the Steelers are even looking to add receivers right now. They didn't sign okay. a single UDFA receiver. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. You know, they they have enough roster spots open to where they're going to dip into this XFL USFL pool probably yeah. for a receiver or two. True. And I mean, you look at the Steelers roster right now for receivers. I mean, listen, it's. They could use some guys, but in terms of just UDFA guys, I mean, you have – I'll list it off. You know, you have Calvin Austin, Miles Boykins back. You have Jamarcus Bradley there. Uh, you have J- Dan Chisena, who who's from Penn State, that they signed. Um, Jordan Bird is, is technically one, but they signed Des Fitzpatrick, <laughs> who has that size. Obviously, yeah. there's the guys that you know that are still on the team. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Miller's coming back. Cody White is still there. I mean, there's enough big-bodied receivers to where... And Calvin Austin could be that, that deep threat yeah. burner. He if Bryce run, ran a 4-3-8, but Calvin Austin runs close. Yeah, I mean, listen. Like, I mean, that's 14 receivers year. on a 90-man roster. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a true. lot of wide receivers already. And so, I don't know if they're even going to sign maybe one more. Uh, they just have a lot of receivers already. And, and listen... For the Steelers specifically, I would have liked him uh, late because I think he's got intriguing tools, but there's no denying the up and down inconsistencies. And then maybe there is some malcontentness that um, maybe teams pick ha- picked up on, but I just think it's inconsistencies on tape yeah. um, that really show up. It wouldn't surprise me. I think he went to what the Giants. I think that's yeah, yeah, yeah. That... He he signed by the Giants. Yeah, yeah. And so like, I mean, that's that's a wide receiver needy team that can use a guy like that. It wouldn't yeah. surprise me if he made the roster at all. If he can just keep his head in the game and and clean up those inconsistencies, I think he has a lot of a lot of upside to him. I'm just not sure if the Steelers are even looking to add receivers right now. So I yeah, think that's and, part of the reason why. And I don't want to. I mean, this is already out there, so I felt comfortable saying it. But I, I don't want to throw like he's a diva out there. I mean, he he wasn't. He was fine to cover. He wasn't a diva at West Virginia. He actually played really well in some games when they were not good, and they were already out of bowl eligibility. And he's blocking. He played. I think reason why I think a lot of people loved him, even Pitt fans who don't love WVU, obviously, the sell for him was he literally likes playing special teams in addition to being a receiver. So he he is a special teams guy that was a special teams player at WVU all of those years. Good, bad, or different, he was a key special teams player and wants to do it. That's hard to find a receiver that has a big body that can get a ball, that can run that fast, and actually won't mind playing special teams. So you don't have to convince him there. I think it was kind of like the unselfishness, and he can play special teams, take a shot on a guy that's that freaking fast. But I don't, yeah, I think he's a nice kid. I don't think he's a diva. It was a weird Shrine Bowl week. Uh, again, yeah, I don't know what the deal was. Maybe that got in some teams' heads that they were like, okay, you ran a 4-3-8, but you blew me off two weeks earlier. I mean, you hate to see that be the case. But, you know, it does, there is a lesson here that, like, you know, you never know what's going on when you're, when you're blowing people off. You never, that's not, just not a good idea. It's just like, you know, there were top 10 picks that I interviewed that week. It's just not a good idea. So, you never know. I was surprised he went undrafted. I wish him luck with the Giants, though. I think it. I think it is a solid fit. So, so lastly, you weren't surprised the Seals didn't sign him then because that was brought up a lot on Twitter. That okay, he fell out. A lot wow. of people were saying, okay, go sign Bryce. Jim Ursay's question of if you give me Mister Relevant or give me the UDF uh, a signing, I'll give you a 10K. That he was. I don't know what happened with that, but a lot of people actually said Bryce around the country. But you weren't surprised the Steelers didn't. No, I, I wasn't. I'm, they just okay. had so many bodies there, and, and that's the thing. And so it kind of became apparent after they trade for Allen Robinson and signed Miles Boykin back that they probably weren't going to dip into this pool. It wasn't a particularly good class, yeah. and I just don't think that – I don't think it's anything against Brushford Wheaton. I just think that they have a lot of bodies there. I think he's going to be a, a guy you have to invest a lot of time into and a guy that you're going to have to really kind of see what he ends up being. I think the Giants are a perfect place for that because they are – wide receiver needy and they're going to really i think look at him and say all right we will you know cultivate you because you have such a great skill set with those tools 
Yeah, and they have a young quarterback still in Daniel Jones, who now they believe in more. That if you give a chance at a deep threat guy or a big play guy, then it could make sense. A little bit more needy there. So, Nick, appreciate the time, man. Always fun talking ball and talking draft, especially with you. I know it's kind of like a holiday season for you, so happy holidays now that it's over. And then also, again, congrats on graduating. You can now go celebrate. Have another drink on me. I'll get you one in person soon. So, again, appreciate the time, Nick Farabaugh of Steelers now as – Nick does all kinds of great stuff over there, of course, at Steelers Now with Alan Saunders and company again with us throughout the Sports Now family of networks. You can also find Nick on multiple Twitter accounts or he's giving you the gems there on Twitter. So I think it's clear the Steelers got an A for their draft. Uh, Nick didn't have to tell you, even though he can give you the analysis. I'm going to tell you too, and everyone kind of has. It's an A draft. The Steelers really did well this year, and you got to like the aggressiveness of Omar Khan in his first draft to be this aggressive and do this well. But yeah, I definitely think it's an A draft for the Steelers. Again, mic drop, you can find it everywhere. Believe puts it out. And of course, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, etc. Thanks again to Nick Farabaugh of Steelers Now. Mike Osti, you can find me at Mike Osti 11 on Twitter myself. So the Pittsburgh Steelers, they get aggressive. They do really, really well. I think they hit some home runs. They get aggressive and they take some chances. but you got to like that as a fan. Like The drafts are going to be fun to watch if Omar Khan is going to be this aggressive and do this and be willing to take these unique chances in a draft that was very important for the future of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.